evening. It's good to see each one coming to the prayer meeting tonight. As you know, it's very sad news regarding our royal family, and that is the passing of our Queen. Tonight I'm going to try and give translation uh, so that everyone understands. <clears throat> you will remember that in prayer. We know that the scripture teaches in 1 Timothy 2 to pray supplications, prayers, intercessions to be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority. I'm going to sing together the opening hymn, 623. <coughs> 623, God is here and that to bless us with the Spirit's quickening power. See the cloud already bending, waits to drop the grateful shower. Stand to sing.
Ivers had his operation two days ago. The past couple of days have been difficult for him, just the pain management, but he's getting there. And he phoned this evening, wanting me to express his thoughts about you. You've remembered him, you've prayed for him, and he says, Thank you, thank you in the Saviour's name. He's starting to make progress, and he's been moved up to the ward again out of intensive care. As you saw in the WhatsApp group, if you have it, our sister, Mrs. Jean McCauley, she had a fall last night and she has ended up in hospital <coughs> and was to be transferred to Alton-McGilvin uh, because that's where they can deal with a broken hip. So please remember Jean at the throne of grace and continue to pray for Ivor. And as we mentioned at the very start of the service tonight, we think of the royal family in their time of grief. Let's bow together, seek the Lord in prayer. (coughs) Lord, we're glad that there is a place that we can resort to in every time of need. There is a throne that has been set up in glory. There is a mediator who is sitting upon that throne and one through whom we are accepted. We come to this prayer meeting tonight knowing how important it is to be here as God's people, to pray together, to pray over so many different things, and particularly the mission as we have set these nights aside for special supplication in light of the mission starting on the Lord's Day. But we do remember those that are in need, and we pray for our royal family tonight, you have given to the Queen many, many years of service in this nation and throughout the Commonwealth. No one has reigned for so long in any country. You have granted to her long life in this earth. And we know that over the years there have been inclinations towards spiritual things. And yet it's true tonight, we cannot say for certain where she might be. Lord, we know that all men will come to this day. No matter how old we are and how long we live in this world, no matter how rich we might be, no matter how high in society we might ascend, and no one has ascended to the heights that Her Majesty ascended to. And so we are reminded that we must die. And we are as water spilt upon the ground that cannot be gathered up again. Neither doth God respect any person. In the light of death, we have often prayed the prayer of Moses, teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. We pray for those in the royal family that mourn this night, that you will help them, comfort them, be with them, sustain them, carry them through. We pray for the others belonging to the church that are in hospital this evening. We think of Ivor and the operation that he's had. You've answered prayer. You've brought him through. We know that he's making progress now. And he's able to testify to the goodness of God and your mercy in these days. And we pray for his recovery. We pray for ease of any pain and distress that he's in. And that you will guide those that are overseeing him as far as the medical side is concerned. And more than anything, 
We're glad that there is the great physician who makes our bed in sickness, who comes and visits with us. May I ever be very conscious of the Saviour's presence. We think of our sister Jean as well, and you know what happened last evening, and the results of that and the injury that she has sustained, necessitating her now to be moved to Alton Gelvin. We pray that whatever the need is there, whatever needs to be done, that you will grant to those again that are overseeing her the wisdom that the best might be done for her. <clears throat> again, we're praying <clears throat> for ease of pain, for a real conscious sense of the presence of the Lord to be with her sister, and that thou wilt make her bed in sickness also. Lord, this people have come tonight, and we've come from different families. We always recognize that, different backgrounds. We are here tonight in this prayer meeting with different needs, and you know all about us personally. You know all about our families. You know the struggles of every day. And we just want to commit ourselves to the Lord for this time. We'll come to your word shortly. We pray for your help that we will know what it is to bring your message tonight, a message that will search out our hearts, quicken us, and further prepare us for the mission. We pray for our Ukrainian brethren and sisters as well. Think of our sister here tonight, and we know that Lena is going to be with us a little longer than when she had thought and anticipated. We pray that you'll grant her grace in these days and encouragement and strength from the Lord. So here these are prayers as we just set them very simply before our God tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Bid you welcome. I trust that this is welcome in Russian and that, that you understand the words in, in red tonight. Hopefully they will be of help. I'm very, very conscious that our brethren and sisters don't uh, always read the English. They can't do that. And therefore, even in the announcements, they're not picking up the announcements. But we hope that this will be helpful. This week, of course, is preparation week for our mission. And Wednesday to Friday have been our prayer times. I'm not going to make any other announcement. You know the announcements for Saturday, the barbecue on Saturday night. You know the announcements for the Lord's Day. But I do want to mention just quickly that we've been able to send uh, some help for these two orphan girls to help with some of their, their school needs and obviously food and so forth in their dire straits. The wee girl of nine, obviously the taller one, celebrated her 10th birthday just the other day and our brother sent this photograph of that. In India, the work of feeding the 90 orphans continues and these are just uh, some of the pictures sent to me this week. Please take these children upon your heart and pray for them that as they're helped physically and the gospel is presented to them that even through this many of them will come to Christ. We've also been able to help uh, with the victims in Pakistan and our mission board has taken decisions to send uh, financial aid to our contacts there so that they can uh, supply food and clothing, medicine, maybe even tents, whatever it might be in this time of need. In Ukraine, Pastor Florine from Romania is going 
with Ian on the 13th of September. I want you to pray for him and for his team as they make that journey. Also in Romania, uh, pray for the family of Stefan. Uh, I get to hear bits and pieces. We can't communicate. He will ring me. And more than often, I don't answer the call because we can't communicate unless, unless the interpreter is there and we have a three-way conversation. But this is a family that's near to our hearts and we know that they're passing through a difficult time just now. So pray for them. Uh, he was very anxious to provide for his family. And so some of you will remember at a very small expense we were able to get him a horse and a cart and uh, he was using that to transport things for people and they gave um, him just a few um, lei, which is the currency of Romania. But you know the horse died and uh, he still got the cart and he sent word to find another cheap horse and then I was speaking to Pastor Florine or texting and he was saying that there is a pastor that's been visiting and they're anxious to, to get him a cow so that he's milk for the family. So the mission over there is going to try and do something and we're going to try and come alongside. We have a great interest in Deborah House and these girls that come from difficult backgrounds. It's always been very difficult to, to get the right people. Um, you can imagine what it is to work with these girls that come from Severely abused backgrounds. When we go and work with them, as we often say, we see probably the best because we're doing things with them that, that they enjoy. But the house parents, day by day, day by day, uh, maybe 12 in each house, have the responsibility to oversee them, get them to school, and then, of course, deal with all their emotional problems. And they have full-time workers. And it's been very difficult to get the workers like social workers, psychiatrists. Some come just for a little time and they find it so difficult they leave. So it is a calling. And uh, new house parents have come recently to one of the homes and they're trying to settle in. But I did, I just heard yesterday from our sister Lorena that, that there are difficulties just getting the right staff. So that's a wee matter that you can pray about. Before we bring a message tonight, we're going to sing the hymn 181. Thy Holy Spirit, Lord alone, can turn our hearts from sin. His power alone can sanctify and keep us pure within.
Tanya, I'm relying on you to see if my translation is any way accurate. It's not my translation, it's Google. This time I put it from English to Russian, and then I put it from Russian to English, just to see how it translates back. And I think 90% of it was okay, a little bit I had to change. As you know, one of the ladies some time ago sent the text to me, and I translated it from Russian to English, and she said, I want to kill you. Uh, but I know she didn't mean that. Well, I don't think she meant that. Uh, so we need, we need to be very careful. Acts chapter 1, and we're reading from verse 6 through to verse 14. If you think of a mission, uh, a special time of gospel preaching, and what you might deal with in a week of prayer, there's no doubt that Acts chapter 1 and even in the chapter 2 will always come to mind. Uh, And I thought to myself, well, we know it, but I can't find anything better just to talk about tonight. I really can't in my heart. And I want to go through just some of these things that are familiar with us, to us, and trust that God will speak to us afresh. Verse 6, when they were there, when they were therefore come together, They asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room, where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Lotus, and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. Ending the reading there, as always, looking to the Lord for his blessing. This is his word, and the Spirit of God needs to apply it and teach us what the Lord is saying here. To that end, for a moment, we'll bow in prayer and ask God's help. Our Father, by way of preparation for our season of prayer tonight, in light of the mission, we come to your word. We come to this instructive passage of Scripture as we think of what happens after the prayer meeting. And Lord, we pray that something similar will happen in our day after our prayer meetings. That we'll have a visitation of God. That the Spirit of God will come and be poured forth manifestly. 
And we will see a great work done in our day and generation. Even a multitude converted unto Christ. And so we commit ourselves to thee now. We pray for the help of the Spirit. Direct our way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So folks, tonight the mission is right on the doorstep, as you can appreciate, starting this coming Lord's Day. Preparation has been made, so the invitations have gone out. We have given the Royal Mail that main task of getting 11,000 invitations to the homes in this area. And then some others went out on Monday night and Tuesday night, and I see there's maybe a couple of hundred left if there are areas to do, which there are, that you could do, and you have time to do that, get the leaflets and put them out. We've had some preparation of our heart, and this week is part of that, getting before the Lord, and we're having our seasons of prayer, last night, tonight, and tomorrow evening. And our desire through it all, as we think of the mission, is conversions. We want to see people converted to Christ. Last night, we were thinking about the story of the woman of Samaria and we thought about Christ and that amazing zeal that he had his meat was to do the will of him that sent him and to finish his work and then we saw how the Lord wanted to convey that zeal to his church and immediately after he says to his disciples you lift up your eyes now and you look in the fields for they are white already to harvest and we want to catch the vision that Jesus had this is what he wants us to see. And then we thought about the, the wonderful result of what happened and the, the reward that is given, even entering into other people's labors. But whether we sow, whether we reap, we're going to rejoice together and the Lord will reward us for what we do and especially in the context of bringing others to Christ, which that whole passage is to do with. This is our desire to see men saved. And this is what we pray for all the time we, we long for men and women to be brought to Christ here in this district in our families, friendship circles throughout the town now we are blessed and encouraged when we hear of God moving in the salvation of souls whether it's the individual coming to Christ as it was at the beginning of the story in John chapter 4 the woman of Samaria who finds the Lord, the Messiah, or whether it's in the multitudes as the story goes on to unfold and that great company of people from the city of Sychar trusting in Christ. When we hear of souls being saved, whether it's one or many, our hearts greatly rejoice. Through the centuries, we have learned of great gospel times and days of revival. Some of the examples I was thinking about today, you could not bypass 1859 uh, the year of grace in Northern Ireland when God moved in such a manifest way and how that those men prayed in Kells schoolhouse and the revival months later broke out in Kells and Connor spread throughout County Antrim into the other counties and at least 100,000 souls were swept into the kingdom of God in that year some reckon twice as many, maybe as many as 200,000. We cannot help but think of what the Lord was doing in the early part of last century, particularly in the 1900s, through the ministry of W.P. Nicholson, 
who was known as the tornado off the pulpit. You read about what was happening in those days, traveling from town to town, whether it was in the city of Belfast, Newton Arge, Bangor, on round to Portadown, where I came from, all these major towns where he visited and preached the word. And we know that tens of thousands of people were converted to Christ at that time. He was a great soul winner. And back in 1948, the mission came to this town in the town hall. Wouldn't it be good to see something of Nicholson's mission being repeated again in our day and generation? I am nowhere near what Nicholson was, but I am an instrument in the hand of God, and the God of glory hasn't changed. That was the mission that Albert Macaulay was converted at, and others we know. I was thinking about the many revivals in the free church. You go back to the beginning of our days, and God was moving. Those of you that are old enough remember the mission that began the work out there in Cabra when 100 people were converted. Others will remember, of course, the 76 mission, and it was said that that mission was the best mission since Nicholson came to preach in 1948. And then we think of other times, great missions in, in Balamina, hundreds of people converted, and that's repeated through the province, even in our little history in the Free Church. We've known something about that over the past 25 years in missions that have been held here. Maybe not the hundreds, but certainly many coming to trust in Christ the Saviour. I remember growing up in Portadown as a young man. We had missions every year, just like we have in Balamone. We went to a tent, went to a hall, maybe sometimes in the church. But those were great times as people got together and they, they reached out, they prayed, and God visited, and many, many people were converted to Christ. Probably the most outstanding move of the Holy Spirit in the conversion of souls goes right back to, to these days of the Acts of the Apostles and the day of Pentecost particularly when the Lord moved and 3,000 souls were saved and later on 5,000 were converted to Christ. What I want to say tonight is this, it didn't just happen. It didn't just happen. There, there was a build-up, there was a, a preparation. God moves he is pleased to descend seasons of refreshing and cause the, the gracious outpouring of the Spirit. He is pleased to give multiple fish in the gospel net as that net is drawn to the shore. But there is a prelude to the mighty works of God. And that's what I want to look at for a few minutes tonight, praying earnestly that, that much of this will be found in us and that God will send gospel success as he prospers his word in the hearts of men and women in this special time of gospel preaching at the mission. First of all, we want to think about the promise to the church. I think it is wonderfully set forth in verse 8 of this opening chapter of the Acts of the Apostles where Jesus says, Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now you will know that the end part of Luke's gospel overlaps 
was the opening part of the Acts of the Apostles. The same author, it is Luke that wrote both of these books. It was in these days of resurrection, as the Savior appeared to his disciples, showed himself alive by many infallible proofs, that he emphasized the great and the eternal work to which his church was called, namely the Great Commission, going into the world and preaching the gospel. I want you to compare the end part of Luke chapter 24, and we'll refer to this chapter again later on, but you come to the end of Luke chapter 24, and you look particularly at verse 47 onwards, Jesus says that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Verse 50. And he led them out as far to Bethany. And he lifted up his hands, blessed them, came to pass. While he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. Well, you'll know that we have read something similar tonight in Acts chapter 1. Look at verse 6. They were, when they came together, they asked the Lord, Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Jesus said, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put into his own power. And it's the word authority. As far as that word power is concerned, the Lord has put that into his own authority. But ye shall receive power. This is the mighty power of God, the Holy Spirit of God. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, ye shall be witnesses unto me. And you'll see again, it starts in Jerusalem. It goes right to the uttermost part of the earth. And verse 9 when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. The Holy Ghost, in his mighty working and his gracious outpouring, is called by Jesus the promise of the Father. Hundreds of years before Pentecost, the prophet spoke clearly about a time when the Spirit of God would be poured forth in abundance and with great measure, and particularly the prophet Joel. When you think of what we read in Joel's prophecy, chapter 2 and verse 28 through to verse 32, and I'll read that to you. Verse 28 shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and the terrible day of the Lord Come, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered or shall be saved. 
For in the Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Now this is what Peter refers to, this promise of the Father. You come to Acts chapter 2 in the sermon that the apostle preached. And you're going to read similar words that I've just read from Joel's prophecy. And Peter says, the people suspect that there's something wrong with these men. I can't even understand what they're saying. They're saying, are they drunk? Peter says they're not drunk. This is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And then he quotes from this prophecy to do with the, the promise of the Father, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. For your encouragement tonight, and I hope that you are encouraged by it, such a work of the Spirit is for today. It didn't stop at Pentecost. And when you go into chapter 2 of the Acts of the Apostles, mark what it says in verse 39. For the promise previous verse says ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise is unto you to your children and to all that are far off even as many as the Lord our God shall call. I've often thought about that text you go back to the day of Pentecost Peter's preaching he's referring to the gift of the Holy Spirit he says this promise is to you the people that were there gathered this promise is for your children But thank God for the next two phrases. For he says this promise is also for as many as are afar off and as many as the Lord our God shall call. And so looking down through the centuries of time, Peter is able to declare that the promise of the Father is for those that are away down the centuries. They are far off and as many as are called. Are you called tonight in grace? Has the Lord saved you? But then this promise is for you. I want you to note carefully that the promise ought to be pleaded in prayer. How do we receive the Holy Spirit? How do we know the fulfillment of the Spirit of God and this promise in our lives? By prayer. And in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, and the Lord's been dealing with the subject of prayer and he comes to this great and amazing verse about the Holy Spirit If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to who? To them that ask. We come and ask. We ask in prayer. Christ promises that he will give us the Holy Spirit. The power of the Spirit is bestowed in answer to prayer. He is given to those that wait. Remember the end of Luke chapter 24 and verse 49. We read the words, Tarry, I send the promise of my Father, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. So that leads me on to the second major thought tonight, and that is the prayer of the church. Because the church, in obedience to the Lord, they went back to Jerusalem to tarry or to wait. Look at verse 14. 
of Acts chapter 1. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. The word tarry is used in Luke chapter 24, verse 49. The word wait is used in Acts chapter 1 and verse, well, you can read the two verses, 4 and 5. Being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you've heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. So what were they to do? They were to tarry. They were to wait. They were to get to the place of prayer. I see them there in that little upper room before the Lord, and they're waiting. They're tarrying. They're pleading. They're calling. They are asking the Lord, I'm sure, to fulfill his word and his promise and to send the Holy Ghost. It's always good to note who the participants were. And we read it there in verse 14. Who were gathered on this occasion? Who were in the prayer meeting? I don't need to overemphasize this because you know the leadership of the church was there. And the men's names are mentioned. Not only the leadership, but the women were there. Particularly those women that had been with Christ in his ministry. His dear mother was there. His brethren, very probable his half-brothers, they were there. We know 120 altogether. And there must be lessons for us here. You see, you, you can't, you should not bypass the detail of the prayer meeting too quickly. When you read a verse like this, Acts chapter 1, verse 14, don't read it quickly. Take time, think about it, meditate upon it. What is God saying to us? I, I have no doubt that he's, he's wanting us to note the importance of prayer, that we are to tarry, that we are to wait, that we are to be like these men and women. We are to get to the place of prayer. It's vital if we are to see a work of God in our day. God always moves in answer to prayer. He also wants us to note who is in the prayer meeting and how important it is for our leaders to be there, office bearers of the church, anyone else that has a a leadership role in the church, whether they be Sunday school teachers, youth workers, wherever it might be, they ought to be at the prayer meeting. Thank God for the women. We read about the women. Our prayer meetings are blessed with many of our dear sisters who come to the throne of grace and we thank God often for you and the brethren well there's no half brothers of Christ living today but we can think of the brethren in Christ and if you're saved and you're a man you ought to be at the prayer meeting as many as possible getting to the place of prayer you see this is God's way don't, don't you think for one moment tonight that there's a different way Or that there is an easier way to secure the power of God and to witness the conversion of souls. There's not. Sometimes people might wonder why I keep harping on about the prayer meeting and how important the prayer meeting is and why we want you to be at the prayer meeting and why we sometimes direct ourselves to the youth of the church 
praying that they'll have an interest in the prayer meeting and start coming and they need to fill the ranks of, of the older ones. The older ones are, are passing on uh, towards older age and maybe infirmity and they can't always be at the prayer meeting. Our young people need to be there learning the importance of prayer. Learning that God moves in answer to prayer. If they want to see a work done, then it must be through the avenue of prayer. It is the way to blessing. So if we're going to see revival, if we're going to see the outpouring of the Spirit of God, indeed, if we're going to see sinners converted like what happened on the day of Pentecost, we must be in the place of prayer. Can I mention a third thing by way of the prelude upcoming to the, the mighty work of God and the salvation of souls? The partnership of the church. I've tried to add a few more things in there. Uh, if I miss one or two, don't worry about that. But it is for the benefit of those that maybe can't uh, understand the English. But the partnership of the church. We come back to this verse 14. And it, it says there, they all continued with one accord. And that little phrase, one accord, is more important than what you think. It is highlighted the fact that these people, men and women, from different backgrounds, with different personalities as they did have, were of one mind and of one heart. Here is the unity of the church, so essential to the blessing of God, as we know in Psalm 133. It's there that the Lord commands his blessing where brethren dwell together in unity. It carries the idea, this, this little phrase, one accord, it carries the idea of many notes in harmony or a choir singing together with their various parts, but they're singing again in beautiful harmony. Nothing jars so much in music when you hit a wrong note. And I suppose it's true, it's the same with singing. Nothing jars as much in singing when somebody's out of tune. Uh, if you're out of tune, just you keep singing, but it might be jarring to others if they hear you. Susan, have you any thoughts? I just had a thought. Do you remember when I learned to play the trumpet? Um, I became 40 and I had this ambition I always wanted to play the trumpet and I got this trumpet and six weeks later I played in church you remember nobody knew about it and I, I, it was the old church I brought it from behind the pulpit and I didn't do too badly I have to say you know in modesty <laughs> I didn't do too badly but there was the odd wrong note and Susan's head just as you know what, what happens she puts her head down when that happens you see it jars it jars but when we're with one accord and the notes are playing in harmony and the choir is singing in harmony it's beautiful and that's what Christian unity is like what is described here in this little phrase one accord is a declaration of the mind and the will of God among his people 
This is one of the essential characteristics which ought to be stamped indelibly upon the body of Christ if we are going to see the blessing of God. Ephesians chapter 4 is, a, is an important chapter. I know there's many places I could turn to, but Ephesians chapter 4 is one of the most important. And in this epistle, Paul calls upon the Ephesian church to, to walk worthy of their vocation, of their calling. We've used that expression already about being called. Has the Lord called you? Called you to be a Christian? Called you to be his child? You're to walk worthy of that calling as a Christian in this world. Now what does it mean to walk worthy? All you need to do is to, to look at it in its context. So turn for a moment to Ephesians chapter 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation or the calling wherewith you're called. Now you want to mark verse 2. With all loneliness, which is of course humility, with meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. And you want to mark verse 3 also, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I, I think you have a summary in part of what it is to, to walk worthy of God. You want to walk in loneliness. You want to walk in meekness. You want to walk in, in long, with long-suffering. You want to forbear one another in love. And as we read there in the next verse, to keep this unity, to keep it. We don't need to make it. That's a false unity. That's what the ecumenical movement have been trying to do for years. They try to make unity with light and darkness. That can't be done. We just keep the unity. The unity that's there, that's God-given. The unity that we have in Christ. He's the head, we're the body. We are to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And as we do so, we're walking worthy. You want to walk worthy of God, don't you? Run to the end of the chapter just very quickly. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 to 32, where the apostle cautions that the Lord's people about grieving the Spirit. You know you can grieve the Spirit. The Holy Ghost that has come to dwell in you as a child of God. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you're sealed under the day of redemption. And I think the next two verses at least show us a little bit about how we can grieve the Spirit because he tells us to put bitterness, let all bitterness and wrath and, and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. I believe we grieve the Spirit when bitterness is there and wrath and anger and clamor, evil speaking, malice, and then the very positive side, how we can please the Lord and please the Spirit. Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Very sadly, the spirit of Corinth prevails in, in many a church assembly today. Not the, the corrupt and, and the immoral um, character that had permeated the life of that congregation and witness, but the disunity that was found. With great sorrow of heart, Paul 
writes, It hath been declared of me, unto me, of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. And Paul made it very clear that that ought not to be so. And as you read 1 Corinthians, read it all, but you'll come to see that it's nothing more than sinful carnality. He cautioned them to be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. If the gospel is to have success and prosper in the hearts of men, then here is one very essential ingredient that must be found among professors of Christ. It is one of the saddest sights in Christian work to see division. God's people at variance, the one with the other. And I'm not talking about division over doctrine. That's a different matter. People have departed from the faith. If they're not sound in doctrine, then there needs to be separation. That's how the free church came into existence. Separation from sin and separation from corruption when it comes to ecclesiastical corruption. And these churches were the, the fundamentals of the faith are no longer proclaimed and the gospel is no longer proclaimed and essential doctrine has been departed from. That's not what I'm referring to. Personalities sometimes cause division and it ought not to. Power struggles where people are struggling to be higher and better. Party alliances that's what was happening in Corinth. Do you remember as Paul addressed the issue, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, and they're really spiritual people. They weren't really. I'm just out for Christ. They were missing it all together. Yeah, we're, we should be just out for Christ, but there's a body of Christ. I'm out for Paul and Apollos and Cephas and every other child of God. We are united to them all. But there were these little parties back in Corinth that were saying, I support him and I, I support him and I think he's a better preacher and I think he's a better teacher. And that's, that's the little club that I belong to and it causes division it did with Corinth. Sometimes it's personal opinions and I have to be quite honest over stupid things. The colour of a wall. Do you like the new colour, by the way? You better say yeah. We're all united. One heart, one mind, one judgment. That's nice, nice to see it painted so well. Or I can remember the one that Mr. Douglas used to refer to, the clock that was bought by a family in the church in memory of someone and one half of the committee thought this is the best place for it. And they went in the following week and the other half of the committee had moved to somewhere else and that caused terrible division in the church. Over a clock, that's just daft. There can be no real blessing unless there's unity. And I would just say to you tonight, and I can't know the circumstance of every believer here, but if there's something, if there's something between you and another brother or sister in Christ, it's going to hold back the blessing that you're seeking. And I would say to you sincerely, lovingly, kindly, go and put it right. Go and talk to them before this mission. Make sure you do that before Sunday. 
Make sure you're right with every brother and sister in Christ. Because you see, there's partnership here. One accord that brought about the great blessing. It was all part of what was happening in the church at this time. Very, very quickly, there was the perseverance of the church. It's the same verse, verse 14, and the word continued. They continued. Minute after minute, hour after hour, and as we know, day after day. This was a 10-day prayer meeting. We don't know exactly how that was conducted. Did they meet from 9 to 5? Did they go home in the evening, go to bed, come back the next morning? Probably. Or did they just keep praying around the clock? Some people went home and slept and others came and prayed. I don't know, but the time was 10 days. They were continuing, persevering. Look who gives this account by inspiration. He knew something of the value of this. Because it was Luke who recorded the teaching of Christ during his ministry regarding perseverance in prayer. Having time just to look at it, but you think of Luke chapter 11 and verse 5 to 10. And that whole section of teaching from the Lord is to do with perseverance in prayer, importunity, going, knocking on the man's door until you get what you desire. And the Lord is teaching, keep knocking at the door of heaven until you obtain your heart's desire. Ask, keep on asking. Seek, keep on seeking. Knock, keep on knocking. And you can note the story that the Savior told in Luke chapter 18 of the, the widow woman who kept coming to the unjust judge until she was avenged of her adversary. And the Lord again is teaching, you keep coming to the judge of all the earth, not the unjust judge, but the righteous judge, the God of glory who loves you, who is ever compassionate towards you. Keep coming to him until you obtain your heart's desire. I want to be named among the men of the Bible that were importune, the Abrahams, kept coming to the Lord as he prayed for Sodom. Like Jacob, wrestled the whole night through, wouldn't let go until God blessed him. We think of Moses, 40 days and 40 nights up there alone with God as he interceded on behalf of Israel. You want to be named there, brethren and sisters, written across every aspect of God's work and particularly prayer are the words of Scripture, be not weary in well-doing, for in due season ye shall reap if ye faint not. Prayer is well-doing, part of our well-doing for God. Don't be weary in it. Don't give up. Don't let the devil stop you from getting to prayer meetings and to getting to your own quiet time before the Lord. And then, of course, we have the power of the church. And this is what happens on the day of Pentecost. This whole prelude that I've spoken about tonight uh, resulted in the outpouring of the Spirit of God in Acts chapter 2 when that day uh, of Pentecost had fully come. They were all with one accord in one place and suddenly very often that word is used in the moving of God suddenly may God move suddenly on the Sabbath day suddenly at this mission there was this sound from heaven the rushing mighty wind filled the house where they were sitting appeared unto them and in verse 4 they were all filled all of them 
with the Holy Ghost. And they began to speak with other tongues, other languages, as the word is, as the Spirit gave the utterance. They were able to speak the language of the people that were gathered in Jerusalem that day. That was the true gift of tongues, by the preaching of the gospel, that men might hear the message of Christ. The Holy Spirit descends. Descends in answer to the united, persevering, importune, fervent prayers of the church. The church that met together and pleaded the promise of God. And I'm just putting it to you tonight as we come to pray. This is the indispensable need of the church of Jesus Christ in our day. And when the Spirit comes, then there'll be a mighty work. We know there was the preaching of the church and they went out to preach the gospel. The reference there is not Acts 2 and 2 and 4. That was previously. It's really from when Peter stands up. The men go out in Jerusalem. They stand up and they preach the word. Sinners are converted to Christ. Peter, especially as we know, is used of God in this incident. Christ was the center of his discourse and that was important. Christ must always be the center of gospel preaching in his crucifixion and resurrection. And then there's this great work of conversion. The thousands are brought to Christ. It's maybe my faith that would lack tonight to say that in this mission thousands will be brought to Christ. Because this is probably the most outstanding work of God in that day. Maybe through the whole age of the Christian church. But can we not say by faith God can save the dozens? He could save the scores of people. May the Lord help us to prepare. And part of that preparation is what we're talking about tonight. We're thinking of prayer, coming to God, and being united together. May the Lord help us for Jesus' sake. As we come to pray, let's sing, O breath of life, come sweeping through us. Revive thy church with life and power. O breath of life, come cleanse, renew us, and fit thy church to meet this hour.
is our time of prayer now for the Hebron Church. Thursday night has been our normal night, midweek service. So we're saying good night to those tuning in on the internet. Trust that you've been blessed and challenged. And now the church here comes to pray.